Welcome to the Drug Futurisms Podcast, where we give you the space-time to imagine different and possible drug worlds. We talk to drug policy experts from drug users and activists to academics and ask them the question they so rarely get to answer. What could a better future hold? Welcome to the very first bonus episode of the Drug Futures podcast. Uh, the idea that we had for these bonus episodes is that they will be less formal and a little less edited than the rest of the show. Sometimes the futures they imagine may be less clear or only present by the fact that harm reduction itself is a future-oriented practice. Uh, they'll also allow Claire and I to explore different projects or ideas that we have that are related to our interests, things that are future-esque or heck, just ideas we find interesting or cool. This will hopefully mean we also make more content too, which would be great. Uh, if you're listening to this episode, uh, you are either one of the three people who have subscribed for bonus episodes, and if so, thank you, or you are one of the people listening to this whenever it was made public. So again, thanks for tuning in. All bonus episodes uh, we make will be released on the main channel at some point in the future. With that said... Today, I am speaking with Jacob Clary on the topic of harm reduction workers, unionization, and the broader labor movement. Before we dive in, uh, Jacob, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, my name is Jacob Clary. I use he, him pronouns. I, um, I work in the harm reduction industry in New York City um, uh, at the first and so far only union syringe exchange harm reduction department uh, in the United States. Very proud of that. Hopefully more soon. Um, uh, I, I, uh, well, how deep do you want me to go? I, I study, I study public health at CUNY, um, public health and epidemiology. I'm uh, three years into a two year degree. <laughs> um, uh, goes sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, right. Uh, especially with COVID and working. Yeah, oh, hundred percent. No, I, I, yeah, I can't. Yeah. I can't imagine having done school during the beginning of the pandemic. Ooh, yeah, I mean, imagine studying epidemiology. Uh, I started in 2019, and then got a beautiful real-world example. Yeah, uh, real lived right experience. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I've been doing harm reduction work in one way or another since about. 2016, 2017. Um, but I didn't start, uh, I, I didn't start working in the actual industry, working in any kind of like, um, frontline service, uh, in, in any real like organized way until two years ago. Um, and before that I was doing, uh, trainings, naloxone distribution, reading public health. Um, specifically, my goal was, uh, I'm also um, uh, a member of the Democratic Socialists of America, and my, my, my white whale is to get the left to give a shit about harm reduction and overdose, and to think about these 
things um, in the in the kind of like structural manner that that we think about other issues. Um, which and, that, just and that's what we came to talk about. Um, right. And so that was great. So I, I, I just like what, like, you know, I mean, I, I've, we've followed each other on Twitter for uh, quite a while at this point, but the, the thing that like caught me in why I was like, oh, this would make such a, a great bonus episode um, is like a, a series of tweets that uh, you wrote back in um, July. Do you mind if I just like read them out? We'll probably swing back to individual kind of tweets throughout, but just to give folks a sense of, yeah, absolutely. We, okay, cool. So uh, you wrote, harm reduction is beginning a third phase. Originally, uh, explicitly oppositional illegal activity in response to government action on bloodborne pathogens. It was then expanded and recuperated into mainstream depoliticized public health. The fight against prohibition and the global drug war has always been there, but it's picking up significant momentum and reminding harm reductionists that service work without abolition is incomplete. But a crucial part of the repoliticization of harm reduction is labor. Harm reduction workers experience exploitation on every axis that others in the nonprofit complex do. And on top of that, many workers are of the marginalized communities they serve. The labor movement needs to understand harm reduction as a workforce to be organized on an industrial basis. And the workers themselves need to realize the same. I love that. Um, uh, I mean, I I think I still stand by that. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Um, (laughs) uh, this would have made it really awkward. You're like, no, I've just completely (laughs) disagree. (laughs) (laughs) Should stay depoliticized. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, the, one of the things that I, I, I really liked about that is, uh, I, I guess like, you know, we were just talking about the pandemic and how it's kind of changed us. I guess, I guess I've become a bit more, uh, labor oriented in my, you know, thinking, um, despite not being in a union, um, and being in a fake union prior to my, my <laughs> current <laughs> job as a teaching assistant. Um, but, um, I, like, I, I see it and like, I, you know, I think there's a lot of other kind of, uh, general social movement stuff like that going on in the U S right now in terms of labor, whether it's like Amazon, like unionizing or, you know, Starbucks workers, you know, pushing for unionization, um, uh, Portland, I think the Portland hotel society in Vancouver's workers recently, about a year or so ago, unionized under, um, QP, which is just like, a. uh, I can't remember what QP stands for off the top of my head, but it's a Canadian uh, union of public something. Um, but uh, I'll fix that in post. Oh, that's, that's uh, <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, so I, I, I mean, I, I, I like it. And I, I feel like we don't see a lot of this um, conversation in harm reduction. Do you have, you know, any thoughts on kind of maybe why that is? Um, yeah, I, uh, I think that we, so there's, there's this kind of, um, this idea that, that I keep seeing labor historians use. I read the phrase in a book, I see it in, um, you know, uh, a talk or whatever. And, and the definition of the phrase is still a little murky to me, but I, I'm using it anyway, the logic of class formation. So what that kind of broadly means is like how how does uh, a workforce or a workforce in a specific industry um, kind of come to realize itself as workers? 
um, E.P. Thompson, who's a, a labor historian, wrote a great book called The Making of the English Working Class. And uh, in the introduction, um, has this really lovely phrase, um, uh, th this kind of poetic description of um, the English working class as being present at their own creation. Um, so, so it's like you don't think of yourself as a worker until some external force acts on you or you have some kind of revelation um, or like your working conditions become so uh, so like a crisis driven or unmanageable. Um, but harm reductionists, we think of ourselves as maybe primarily like we are in service to to somebody. We're uh, we're in service to a population. We're in service to our peers um, and friends and loved ones. Um, we're we're not workers. We're we're kind of in service, or you know maybe we think of ourselves as like saviors in some kind of way. Um, which is problematic. Um, but so we don't think of ourselves as workers. But if you've got a job, if you've got a boss, if you've got someone else uh, determines your schedule and the, and the um, terms and conditions of your employment, right? If you collect a wage, you're a worker. And you deserve all of the same protections um, that, that any worker in any other industry does, uh, whether it's Starbucks or Amazon or you're a steel worker. Um, or a teacher, or or whatever. Um, so, so why we don't talk about that, I think, as much in harm reduction, though clearly that conversation is changing. Um, I think why we don't talk about that is for the same reason that um, that we typically don't, uh, or that, that workers in any any um, you know uh, nonprofit uh, NGO kind of kind of scenario also don't really aren't thinking about themselves in that way they're they're here for the mission um they're here for they're here for doing that good work they don't think of themselves as workers and in, in in one way or another they kind of think that thinking of yourself as a worker is like debased um so so that i think that's like kind of that's kind of part of it what's interesting to me though um is uh you know when we talk about like unions uh, or collectives right it's uh uh, kind of broadly, we can think of uh, like, what is the mechanism, right? Is uh, people coming together uh, in one or another kind of strategic place where we can put some leverage on the engines of capital, right? And it's not just workers, right? We can think about um, uh, students uh, or patients, um, the, the, uh, the SPK, the Socialist Patients Collective in, I think I was in Denmark, um, wrote a beautiful manifesto in, I think, 1974, um, uh, kind of working through this idea of, of patients as um, participants in, as, as, a, as, a mass, as, a, as a mass participant in capital in a way that's obviously super distinct from, from workers, but still very important. In the same way, students... Um, obviously have a lot of power. You see this in like the student movements in 1968. Um, you see it, uh, I, I, when I was in Greece in 2017, I got a ride from, um, from Patras to Athens. Uh, once I got off the ferry, I had taken the ferry because I was smuggling a bunch of Narcan, which is illegal uh, in, in Greece. So I didn't want to fly. 
um, took the ferry with this interesting guy that I met on uh, met on the boat, and he described the um, this tactic that that young young Greek kids uh, do called catalepsy, which sounds a lot like our word catalepsy. Um, so it's like a like a strike or a seizure, um, where if it's like some condition in the school, right? The bathrooms don't work. Some teacher's an asshole, whatever. And they would, they'll just, you know, hands down or, or, go, or, or walk out or whatever. You see it, uh, you see it also in America more recently in response to gun violence. Um, but so this is a long winded way to get to um, <laughs> the interesting point, which is that we, uh, the harm reduction movement started as a union the junkie bond, like we have that, um, that kind of structure in, in the DNA of this movement. And so, uh, it disappeared at some point. Um, and I think what I'm talking about with the phases and the recuperation and depoliticization and then that kind of thing, um, is, is the process of that collective liberatory practice, uh, disappearing. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I, so I, I don't know too much about the drink, but this is actually the second time that the, that the Dutch project has, has come up to be in the last couple of weeks. Um, but I, I, I was, huh? The junkie bond. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, oh yeah. Um, but uh, I, I was thinking as you were kind of talking, like, you know, like obviously like, uh, you know, the, that we have had, you know, drug user unions, right. Or like, uh, you know, our, our, these things that you know have existed for for quite a while which you know borrow a lot of you know union thinking and you know like i i think like honestly you know come out of a period of time where unions are kind of falling flat for everyone else i, I mean I, I don't think they've ever been particularly good for uh, um, working with people who use drugs up until recently but i i just mean like uh, you know, but borrowed a lot of that kind of, you know, thinking like Van Duvel's the Van Vancouver area network of drug mm -hmm. users, right? Like, like, it, like, you know, these are the Toronto drug users union. Like, you know, these are all places that, you know, kind of take a lot of the, the logic of like union and kind of solidarity. Um, but I, I guess like in some ways, yeah, it hasn't, um, you know, it, it extended to harm reduction as a institutionalized practice, let's say. Yeah, I mean, I think it. Well, so, uh, so here's where my um, my my overview gets kind of. Um, I wouldn't say exactly uh, wrong or incorrect necessarily, but definitely some of the details um, uh, are like there's there's some oversight definitely in my in that picture of um, like the, the the phases or the paradigms of harm reduction. Um, because the ground is so uneven, but, um, um, but this idea of the, I mean, so the, the drug users union, obviously Vandu and the, uh, Toronto, Toronto union, um, those are really powerful. Um, they, but the junkie bond was, uh, 1983 Amsterdam, um, uh, group of people who inject drugs responding to hepatitis B um and saying we need to like state city you need to take care of us you need to or you need to help us uh, have the means to take care of ourselves uh with syringe exchange and then also with um with the first safe consumption spaces um and because they're not dealing with um you know the 
the drug war, the American drug war, at least not dealing with it uh, so completely in in their face. It, it was like it was a pretty easy process. But um, uh, but yeah, I mean that like union consciousness, this idea that like the only power that we have is collective solidarity means uh, recognizing shared vulnerability and the power that recognizing that shared vulnerability allows you to take. A single worker cannot get anything done, but two workers together or more um, have all the power in the world to shift the balance of, of uh, control and responsibility. I think you, you asked a question though that I didn't quite answer. <laughs> I can't remember anymore. Okay, I, I think I, I think it was okay. So it was in terms of you know, uh, like how do you know? Like if you have any idea, of course, right? Mm -hmm. uh, like how we kind of move. I mean, so so there's not it's not just in Canada. That there's drug user unions. There's just the ones I'm familiar with. I, I, as a person now living in the United States, I get on it. But you know, like I I, I mean, you know, in some ways, like the you know the USU kind of operates like that, and so does um, mm -hmm. like the New England Drug Users Union. Ha, mm -hmm. See, I do know some of them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, and so like I I guess like I wonder, um, uh, in terms of you know, like the, they're unions, but they're also, they're not, they're not organized labor. And, and mm -hmm. maybe, maybe we could probe the, the kind of distinction and maybe, maybe somewhere in there, we would find some reason why harm reduction has kind of been a little hesitant. Um, yeah. I mean, well, so I think the, I think the example, even though it's not organized labor, I think the example is really instructive. Um, and I think that um, there was a point where we lost the thread where people doing the work um, were kind of convinced that their own uh, individual participation in whatever the movement was became more important than um, the solidarity and collective action. I mean, I'm probably at least partially wrong here. Yeah, um, I, I, I was but, thinking but, too that like, you know, one of the you know, one of the most like effective kind of things is just to entrench, you know, entrench this precarity uh, mm -hmm. that makes it, you know, just challenging to organize um, uh, and, you know, further, you know, it's not exactly like the, the labor movement has a, a very positive history of involvement mm -hmm. with uh, um, drug users um, that, you know, also makes it makes it hard. I, I think like, you know, we've seen like, you know, the, you know, where you work, you know, as, as a scientist, I think also with like with the unionization of um, those workers in uh, Vancouver um, mm -hmm. is kind of a, a more open engagement to the possibility of doing that kind of work as well because it's also not like labor unions don't have <laughs> people who use drugs who are in involved mm -hmm. with them either i mean you know a, a good chunk of the overdoses in, in british columbia are, are actually like you know people working on like the the rigs and like you know like mm -hmm. in you know like mining like classic labor like union mm -hmm. workers um and and, and so it's not it, it's not that that is necessarily been the problem but there's there's a difference right between kind of being out and you know being a 
or I, I know some people don't like that language, but so self-disclosed or, you know, who's, you know, your whole project is centered around that, I guess. And then also um, between that and being a, um, you know, just a person who uses drugs and who happens to, you know, work a, a job doing something else. Mm-hmm. So, okay. I, I think there's two, there's two answers to the question of why, hasn't the harm reduction or three answers actually why hasn't the harm reduction industry gotten organized one is it's relatively new you think about like steel work or uh or nurses or um uh or teachers like those are jobs that have existed forever but when we talk about um harm reduction as an industry and as an organizable industry that phase specifically is very new um, like it's a new, it's all, it's basically a new, new profession. So that's one reason. The other reason, um, is that, uh, it's not, um, uh, it's not only harm reduction that goes through this, um, this process of, uh, kind of, or that has gone through this process of like governmentality or, um, uh, once it stops being this oppositional practice and gets all of the, uh, you know, helpful tools of the state and the public health apparatus and that kind of thing, um, the, the, those benefits are also kind of in balance with what is lost, which is like, uh, whatever the work was, whether you're talking about, um, uh, I mean, you can be talking about any kind of social movement, but whatever the work that work was when it gets close to power, um, necessarily loses that kind of, you might call it like grassroots kind of energy or, um, or, uh, like collective kind of oppositional force. Um, so that's another reason. And then the last one is maybe the most important one you're talking, you mentioned precarity earlier. Um, a lot of harm reduction workers, um, not enough, but a lot of harm reduction workers come from the population that, that they serve. Right. So, someone has you know a felony conviction or um or is actively using drugs or 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 even just feels um uh rightfully that whatever organization they're working for kind of uh believed in them when no one else did and took them off the streets etc um then they feel more or less beholden to that agency and they think, well, a union is oppositional. So, uh, and like, I love this company, there are problems, but what, but, but the things that it has done for me uh, completely outweigh those. So, uh, so I'm not interested in organizing this oppositional structure. I'm in, I'm, I'm like involved in this organization in ways that, uh, that, you know, a steel worker or whatever, uh, an oil rigger or a teacher isn't. So I, I think that, yeah, I think that's kind of getting at the answer why harm reduction hasn't organized. Uh, uh, I, so I, I, I think I, I want to just pivot ever so slightly. Cause I also like, I always have this feeling to myself sometimes when I'm like, I talk about the past and I'm like, oh, well, I wasn't there. So like, I don't want to, <laughs> um, I, I don't want to dig into too much of folks' motivations. Um, uh, so I, 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 well, I was, I want to know, um, was maybe in, in terms of, if, if you can, um, mm-hmm. you know, talk about the, how um, the organization that you, you work at, you know, got unionized and like what the process was uh, of that was like. 
it was a fight. Um, uh, it uh, without being without giving uh, too many details or you know getting in trouble or something. But um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, it was a long fight. It was it was very drawn out. Um, there's a union busting tactic in the United States that basically if you if you can um, in what looks like good faith. Uh, you know, negotiation or whatever, stall the stall an election, the NLRB election, can stall it for longer than a year. Um, then that opens the union up to decertification. And so they tried to do that. And the bargaining did not go. Um, was well, the, the law firm that they that they retained to do the bargaining is famous right wing law firm with Trump connections, etc. Um, but the way that it happened was just like at any, just when any other kind of place organizes, you think about, um, like you read articles, interviews with Starbucks workers, right. And, uh, just for a recent example or Amazon workers, right. Just having conversations with people about, well, this, this, or this other thing is uh, COVID was a, was a big part of it, right. COVID and COVID, COVID protections and all that kind of thing. The conversation, uh, in in any workplace should look about the same right i can't do anything alone but we can do something together nice so there, there's broad support then i guess from the the rest of the folks yeah we won with 88 percent um pretty damn good yeah not bad uh there's always there's always room for growth um mm -hmm. but uh but but yeah um we did we did pretty all right <laughs> um i was hoping maybe to um outline a little bit of the those kinds of the stages that i mentioned in the 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 thing that you read earlier um is that something you want to take some time on uh yeah i i was just gonna follow up on that in mm -hmm. terms of like like just just because I'm thinking like you know to if if you can talk about this you know may, maybe it's useful to other folks elsewhere to go into like in the broadest of terms like you know what does uh you know what was the process of getting from uh you know folks being like I, a couple of people being like i want to have a, a this harm reduction you know or work at to be unionized and getting to that 88 percent, and then maybe we can switch back over i just 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 thinking you know because of the rarity that it it kind of is yeah. um yeah so it's i mean it's like organizing any so okay i want to say to anybody listening to this if you are interested in doing labor organizing in the harm reduction sector, please get in touch. Uh, uh, Alex, you can put my, I don't know, Twitter or email or whatever um, cool. when you post this. But if you are interested in organizing <clears throat> in the US, I guess specifically, but, um, but really anywhere nationally, if you're interested in organizing, doing labor organizing in, in the harm reduction sector, please get in touch. This is, um, a, this is work that I want to do for the rest of my life. You are not bothering me by dropping me an email. I would put my phone number out there if, uh, if, if I, if I could, but I think that might be a little much. That's a bad um, idea. <laughs> so that's not uh, a good idea. Don't do that. 
so if you read, um, so the other thing that I will say is if you're interested in this, um, you don't have to buy the book, but you absolutely should um, buy. There's a book by um, an organization called Labor Notes called um, called um, Secrets of a Successful Organizer. It's uh, like, I think 144 really brief, very straightforward lessons illustrated by really cool little labor struggles and contract fights and that kind of thing. Um, and I've found this book to be incredibly useful. Um, uh, or uh, sign up for um, trainings with also with this organization, Labor Notes, who I, I don't work for. They're just awesome. Um, <laughs> they're kind of, their goal is putting the, putting the movement back in the labor movement. Um, cool. uh, so yeah, sign up for their trainings, uh, buy the book, um, but also just, I mean, the, the organizing lessons are the same across, across industries because harm, the harm reduction sector isn't any different in, in terms of like, uh, what the workers are up to. It's not really any different than, than any other in so many ways, at least in the, in the ways that are like germane to, uh, starting to build a union. Well, right. So, okay. So here, here's one where I do wonder about whether that's true. And my sense from talking with, um, someone else in New York is that like the, um, you know, like there's not like, I wouldn't even call like temp labor is not the right, mm. is not the right word, but there are, you know, um, in Vancouver, there are a lot of organizations that will, um, you know, pay out quote unquote, um, peer uh worker wor not uh, quote end quote workers um where the um you know for some folks you know maybe they're not ready to hold down a you know stable work uh so it's like you kind of drop in like you know you do a shift at the overdose prevention service let's say and then you know you get you get paid uh now this is very clearly precarious labor <laughs> um mm -hmm. and like i i mean i'm i'm on the one hand for folks who are maybe not ready or, you know, like are not in a place yet where they can, you know, commit to kind of stable labor. Um, uh, this probably like a good, that's probably really helpful. Um, on the other hand, it is also a way that like precarity gets entrenched because, you know, maybe we only hire the people who are, you know, willing to just do the drop-in so we can keep like, you know, the wages like low, uh, kind of thing. Um, and, and so I, I, I guess like, I, I'm not, I, and for me, that is like the getting those folks like support and protection is also is, is they're, they're clearly the most exploited people. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, even if even if this is done in a way that is meant to make it accessible for them, that's still the case. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I guess I, I just like wonder in terms of how that see that kind of organizing to me is actually is, is different, and is that is one yeah, of the yeah. things that is different about harm reduction work is that you do have a lot of folks who do that kind of work. Mm -hmm. No, I think you're you're absolutely right. That so that's that is a uh, another part of this industry that that does make it a little complicated. Um, I think there are a couple of ways to talk about it, um, depending on what the like structure of pay is, because there are organizations that um, that take on that do the pure worker structure. This kind of um, like uh, yeah, I mean as as you described. Um, they do the peer worker structure, but they do it in a way that 
the people who are hired come on as uh, independent contractors. So in New York in 1994, there was a law passed saying that um, that anybody doing um, or anybody who gets basically uh, um, uh, like state benefits um, can, if they do, if they if they work as an HIV educator, um, then whatever money they're kind of paid to do that work is not counted as income. Um, if you if you're on disability or you get you get state benefits um, up to a certain point, um, there's no uh, there's no changes. But if you make a certain amount of money, a piddling amount of money yeah. more, then uh, then it starts to affect your benefits. Um, so that's kind of where the peer worker structure comes from, at least in in New York. That's like the the rationalization as like, oh, we can pay these people sub minimum wages uh, because you know it would they would be getting in trouble with the state otherwise, um, which is bullshit. Um, but yes, absolutely. So organize in a certain way, um, and in certain places, organizing peer workers is maybe a uh, like obviously parallel and very similar but separate project from organizing the staff. Uh, I think that that um, necessarily those two go together. Um, but for example, in New York, it looks it would look different. Um, I've had conversations with people about, you know, basically like a, organizing like a peer worker hiring hall or guild, um, wherein, you know, if an organization wants to take on peer workers, there's only one place that they can go through. Um, and there's an agreement that all of the organizations have with um, you know, whatever this network or, uh, or hiring hall or guild is, that's like uh, basic, basic protections and, uh, and working conditions agreement. Um, so that's like maybe one model. The other is though, if someone is, uh, is an employee, if someone's an independent contractor, then you just get a wall to wall union and they're protected also. Oh, okay. Did you want to, oh, I was going to say, so uh, one, one of the, one thing that this is inspired by um, this is something that Zoe Dodd sent to me a, a while back. It, it's, uh, it's, I actually used the, this text in a, uh, a paper that I, I recently wrote about quote unquote on peer peer work around, around drug checking. But uh, mm -hmm. is this, is this notion that like the, the, um, the demarcation of peer and non-peer is like a, a really effective way to basically underpay folks. Um, you know, like uh, despite the fact that these two workers might have, um, I'm not criticizing you just to be clear. I just like this thought popped into my head and it was just like, oh, I should bring this up. Like um, that, uh, yeah, it, it, you know, it, it's used as like, a, a, like, despite these people might have the same, like, you know, level of qualifications in terms of what are relevant to the job <laughs> um the 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 same like degree as opposed to you know a bachelor's degree or not like the the same degree of you know um skill but one of them you know gets put in the peer camp and so like they're you know both like devalued in terms of like uh the direct way that they're kind of you know compensated um or and they're probably also marginalized in terms of the way that their knowledge is um kind of um it, it engaged with and and so uh, yeah, i i do i do kind of feel that the, i think the sentiment that you you know like you, you didn't initially break the demarcation down into peer and non-peer mm -hmm. i did um uh but i i just want to like affirm that like that is also a uh you know like a 
a way that this, you know, that this kind of like logic of like inequality and precarity gets like kind mm-hmm. of entrenched. Um, so yeah. I, I guess, oh, sorry. <laughs> well, so, uh, sorry, finish, finish your thought, but I, yeah, oh, no, I, I was going to move us back to the conversation oh, well, about let's pull it. Let's, yeah. let's stay on this for a second. It's, it's really, it's really important. And it's also something yeah. that, um, uh, like a labor union would have to contend with. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, a lot of the people, uh, so I um, was hired after the organization, like the drive started um, at, at my shop. Um, but um, the, many of the people who were doing the organizing weren't even thinking about peer workers and whether they could be considered employees, um, which is which is really absurd. Um, uh but there, so the the issue is um, like pay structure and that kind of thing, which I think just makes it a, it makes it complicated for the union. But um, but uh, but no, I mean I I think there's no there's no reason not to um, for uh, a unionization effort that part of that effort should be breaking down uh, or dismantling that demarcation, um, but. Uh, but I mean, it's a, just just in terms of like, I don't know, logistically, it's it's like a little a little hairy, I guess. But there's no reason not to do it. Yeah, well, and I mean, I mean, and I think that's that that's kind of why I was poking at you when you you said like that, like it's just like organizing any other industry. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, there are precarious workers in in other industries. Like the the this form of precar- entrenched precarity is not unique to, to harm reduction, mm-hmm. but it's also like more unique in terms of labor and i i i think you know that like there's also just been you know kind of this historic animosity to the quote-unquote lumpen proletariat which mm-hmm. when we're talking especially when we're talking in terms of you know harm reduction organizations or you know dealing with injection drug users is uh, or and, and sex workers is normally mm-hmm. is the people marks had in mind um mm-hmm. and, and and so um you know in in terms in terms of that you know that's also part of that you know I, I think one of those things that's kind of created a cognitive block and why, why I really liked, you know, um, uh, one of the things that you said in that thread, which I'll just read back out was like, you know, the, the labor movement needs to understand harm reduction as a workforce to be organized on an industrial basis. And the workers, uh, need to kind of realize the same, um, and I, I guess I, I I just want I was wondering just because it feels like we're on this topic, so let's just keep pushing with it. Like you know what like what what did you kind of have in mind? You know when you when you wrote that, or what do you have in mind now? Even <laughs> you're allowed to change your mind. So the labor movement needs to recognize harm reduction harm reduction workers as um, as a as a workforce as an industrial workforce to be to be organized and the workers themselves need to understand themselves as, as workers. Um, uh, I think it's, so it's, so I, I'm, I wasn't, spe- I specifically wasn't really talking about the, um, the, uh, um, God, what is the term? The kind of, uh, illicit labor force kind of thing. Um, uh, and I think that's another, that's a different question. Um, but just in terms of the people who do this work, they're, uh, they're workers and workers are organizable. When I talk to my union about this, um, they're often kind of like, well, we're, a, you know, uh, we're, 
it's a, it's a kind of a healthcare workers union or, um, or it's one or another kind of style of industrial union, but it's not thinking specifically about the, um, the very different kind of work that, that harm reduction workers do. Um, and it's, a um, but it's, but it's, but the, the way that labor will start to understand harm reduction workers as workers is when we, um, start recognizing ourselves as that, like, a think of this, like logic of like proletarianization kind of thing. Um, like whether or not we're, um, uh, part of the precariat or underpaid or whatever, um, that's a separate question from whether or not we're like members of the working class. Um, so understanding ourselves as members of the working class um, is is an important step. Sure. I, 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 I just a slight aside, but I just popped in my head um, when, I, when I used to live in Amsterdam. Speaking of, we were talking about the junk mm-hmm. bond, but I, I mean, let's pivot just slightly to the to the sex workers union. Uh, mm-hmm. in, in Amsterdam, which, because like, it's very clearly, uh, um, a, uh, you know, it, because sex work is, is legal there. Um, mm-hmm. the, the union, like, you know, sets rates, um, you know, it brings in certain like standards of care, um, protections. It also, um, sets the rates, um, with which, uh, sex workers, um, must be paid in terms of being research participants. Mm. Um, uh, so you, you can't do research with sex workers in, in Amsterdam, like, unless like, you know, you are paying them a, a certain amount, um, which I think is great. Um, uh, and, 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 you know, that this is like a true kind of union, but it, you know, it's also bringing in kind of these elements that are very, that again, are not unique to it, but are, you know, are particular to per- certain types of, um, uh, labor um that are you know maybe not conceived of that way so like i i I mean like i i think even even if like uh um you know i i think it's a good example of how you know this the yeah this you know the procurator the under you know like like these things are both true like they're I, I get they're both true and untrue kind of at the same time but there there are unique ways of like building up capacity um and uh you know kind of doing a lot of the things that unions do that still can kind of engage with and address like the particulars of of what the kind of labor is um and like you know it's it's cultural form yeah i mean it's a contradiction basically right i mean this this is an enormous contradiction and also and and then this uh like demarcation between between whatever you call it like peer workers and staff or whatever um that it's an enormous contradiction and obviously someone's getting the the short end of the stick in terms of like being even recognized as um as like full citizens participants in the in uh in in society and and you know having some kind of like valuable contribution or whatever so it's a it's a huge it's a huge uh uh, I mean, it's a problem. It's a dilemma, um, and and it's a. I mean, it's really like a an actually uh, dialectical contradiction, and it needs to be moved through and destroyed. I don't know how to do that. 
<laughs> it's, it's, it's okay. <laughs> if you, I'd be really impressed if you had all the answers. My goal in thinking through any of this stuff is to be on the right side of people like or by and by the right side i mean like to be in as much agreement as possible not actually to their right but yeah no i I got you (laughs) people like you mentioned before zoe dodd um to to like take the lead from people like zoe dodd people like um i mean everybody in in vandu um uh people like you um like i am never making really clear plans for the future but um i feel like if uh if something that i'm saying is resonating with or or agreeing with um uh people that i hold in very high esteem then i hope i'm going in the right direction yeah and and the um this like a movement through paradigms of harm reduction i i would love to talk about it just mainly because it's something that has been uh like sitting on my head for so long since i mean since i um said the thing on twitter but i've been like trying really working through um these ideas so i think it'd be helpful to to talk through it with you and and kind of get some feedback okay let's do it <laughs> um but uh but don't forget your the other two I, no I, i've got my list it's okay, <laughs> okay. um so so what did i so yeah the i'm like oh in my tweets but it feels so weird, but, um, but yeah, in that, in that, um, there's, there's this, there's a, uh, it's not unique to harm reduction. There's a, there's like a historical process that, um, that all kinds of work or productive labor or whatever go through. Um, but in, in, uh, where something is, uh, an oppositional practice and then it becomes institutionalized, um, and defanged in that way. So in harm reduction specifically, what's interesting about it, uh, or I mean, I guess what's interesting about it is I know more about harm reduction. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so, so in harm reduction in particular, it starts in, so in the US, um, like the 70s and 80s, people, uh, this explicit uh, oppositional, in opposition to the unjust laws about, you know, criminalizing, um, drug paraphernalia and that kind of thing. Uh, Christopher B.R. Smith wrote a, wrote a paper uh, uh, that I have not read recently, um, so I don't want to talk too much about it, but uh, it's called uh, Harm Reduction as an Anarchist Practice. Um, so he's talking about, uh, so anarchism, um, like uh, temporary um, uh, moments or spaces of autonomy, um, clear, explicit, like anti-government stance, um, you know, many other things go, go with that. I'm not going to try to, a lot of my favorite things, but but so, so syringe exchange was this practice that was, uh, that was illegal that, um, that, and that people were doing, um, you could call it mutual aid. People tend to hate that word. I don't know why. Um, uh, but this, this mutual aid, this practice of mutual aid that people, that um, people who use drugs and their peers, as well as people who, for other reasons, maybe care about the community, they're doing this um, in, in in the teeth of really serious opposition from the police, from the state apparatus and all that. Eventually, through, by, through a couple of different ways, um, 
one like recognition of this public health crisis of hepatitis B, hepatitis C, and HIV, um, but also through an understanding that substance use is uh, not just this thing that we can ignore. It's actually it affects you know all stratas of society, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it got taken on by practitioners of public health. It, uh, a syringe exchange is now in in most places where they exist, right? It's, uh, it's in one or another way, deeply intertwined with the Department of Public Health in that municipality, right? So it's, uh, so when it gets taken on by the state apparatus, right, there's a, there is an enormous contradiction, right? The people doing that work are suddenly like, oh, shit, like, you're recognizing that this is important. This is, uh, this is great, whatever. Um, but what what has to happen is that it stops being this oppositional practice, um, and it starts being it starts being people are instead of criminalized right now they're medicalized. That's a that's a really clear transition that that harm reductionists talk about a lot. Um, uh, so uh, and so what, one of the great things that happens right is in the um, kind of paradigm of this oppositional legal illegal practice right uh, syringe syringe distributions in you know one or another um, city or done by one or another person or organization or whatever um, uh, were measured in the thousands and then when the, when that gets taken up by a public health department and is really like uh, organized and institutionalized then then distributions are measured in the millions so that's great meeting more people the the what you give up, the compromise that you make is you're meeting more people, but without, um, without, I think this like really necessary political stance. So that political stance is taken away or replaced with basically, it's not apolitical, it's not depoliticized. The politics are replaced with the politics of the status quo. Um, uh, public health, uh, thinking about, thinking about people, um, not as individuals, but as uh, as vectors for disease, uh, as people, uh, as members of a of a risk category. This is a the newly minted risk category. This is something that Gordon Rowe talks about uh, in a really great paper called um, "Is Better Than Bad Good Enough," um, where he also uses the phrase. I'm stealing this from him anyway. Of of uh, mature mature harm reduction. So. In, so that's kind of where we're at now, or maybe where we're at in 2017, something like that. Um, and I wrote two papers, one for um, the Society for the Study of Social Problems and another very similar, tweaked it just enough to call it a different paper. Um, <laughs> You're for, not supposed uh, to say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for the Society for the Study of Social Problems, and then the other one was for the Socialism in Our Time Conference. Um, okay. And basically what I, what I was doing was asking the question, what is the next stage? I don't fucking know. Maybe I can write this essay and someone, will, someone in the audience, when I give my little talk, will, <laughs> will have an answer. Uh, nobody did. Nobody came. Uh, well, we had, a, we had a small group, but most of the people were there for the um, eco-socialism uh, talks, which were also totally amazing. Anyway, um, so I, I didn't know what the next step was. Um, 
I wrote this paper that basically says the, the it was called uh, harm reduction and anti-capitalism. Usually, when I put it on resumes, I call it harm reduction and social movements. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, but uh, so. So I didn't know what the next step was. And the reason that I didn't know what the next step was, because when I was uh, in, in 2017, I was, I was doing harm reduction work in the kind of more like much more fly by night kind of um, volunteer, uh, still thinking of myself as, as someone in service to this community. Um, I, wasn't working, I wasn't working for an organization. Um, I was a bartender. Um, uh, and I was doing every, every, not every moment, but many moments of my spare time were dedicated to reading public health, reading harm reduction, talking to people, doing this kind of, doing this kind of thing, um, mainly, um, mainly naloxone distribution. Um, and so it wasn't until two things. One, I started working in the industry, um, and was no longer a servant, a volunteer, et cetera. I was uh, I was a worker, so I was thinking about myself as a harm reduction worker. The other was I went to uh, the Labor Notes conference this year in, in Chicago, um, where uh, just through thinking through a lot of this stuff and talking to people, obviously, and, and the, the work of like building my own union was, um, was a big part of this, but I realized, okay, the third step, how do we get, how do we kind of, that, that dialectical process of kind of um, merging the two, the like organized public health response, but also thinking of harm reduction as abolitionist, as, uh, as, uh, as an oppositional practice, um, uh, fighting, you know, the drug war, fighting prohibition, fighting for um, safe supply, legalization, and, and uh, liberation of people who use drugs. How do we get back to that? It's a messy, it's going to be a really messy process. But the only way that we can build enough power to uh, achieve the original political liberatory goals of the harm reduction movement is by en entwining the harm reduction movement with organized labor and with the labor movement. Um, you see this process also in, for example, uh, organizing grad workers um, where uh, for example, you know, like, uh, okay, one of the struggles of grad workers, obviously, other than like precarity and this kind of thing is like their, <laughs> their uh, deans will say the most outlandish shit. Um, very recently that I as the, the president of the American Historical Association, I think, um, just said this absurd Oh yeah, shit. I saw that. Basically about... <laughs> He's like he he all but used the word critical the words critical race theory in in with you know quotes and disdain. Um, so I will say he did like he did give what seemed to me a very genuine apology. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm not entirely sure that was his intent, <laughs> um, but nonetheless, um, yeah. yes, that that was the kind of general impact mm -hmm. of the, the piece. Yeah, um, and so so grad workers um, and obviously the entire uh, like. The, the academy as a whole um, should be, but is not, or at least not fully kind of um, directed towards history as like a liberatory practice. Um, and it's not right now because it's, well, it's industrial, which is, which is part of kind of a necessary process in 
terms of um, like uh, having enough people to organize to make it to make it meaningful. Um, uh, it's industrial, but it's still it's a business and it's capitalist. And uh, you know the university's goals are uh, are making money and spitting out students. It's not uh, not or at least not always thinking about. Um, history as a liberatory practice. I know that's a super vague term, but um, but I just wanted to compare like the this like logic of class formation that I'm talking about and and um, and and the the idea of how do you win the goals, uh, the original liberatory goals of the harm reduction movement, you need the power of organized labor. Um, I can't I can't I shouldn't be super explicit about it right now, but uh, in the next maybe four or five months, um, thing that that I, I will have some really great examples of that. Um, but yeah, so that that's the that's the process. That I, so does that is that clear? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'll be honest. I'm not. I'm not. I I I'm I'm a bit more wait and see. And and part part of my hesitancy. Um, it is just this, you know, historical, and I, you know, there's something kind of funny about it because there's like a, uh, if you read like historical texts about like what doctors thought about uh, drug users in like the early 20th century, like their biggest like thing is just like they just find them really annoying, and like they're just this like whole like drug seeking bullshitty kind of narrative. Um, and, and in the same kind of way, like like you read you read the way that people talk about. Um, I, I was listening to a podcast that was um, by this author who um, had written this like you know piece about like the the young lords is just like very dismissive of um, you know like their 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 work and involvement in um uh with like the the lumper proletariat because like they kind of like Fanon and also like you know Foucault but like they're uh you know like kind of saw um saw this kind of radical kind of imaginary um you know possibility and I you know I I mean I think there's you know kind of ups and downs to mm-hmm. um to that I and mean, I, I just like my my hesitancy is like you know how, like um uh j- just like i i'm I, i'm still wait wait and see on on the, the ways that that uh you know like um if, if, if like the trend kind of continues of you know um harm reduction organizations you know not creating their own unions but just you know kind of joining into others i am curious to to see how uh, you know, some of these tensions that might um, exist between, you know, traditional um, unionizing stuff and um, working with people who are explicitly, you know, mm-hmm. people who, are, you know, use drugs and like that's also the work that they do. Um, mm-hmm. I'm interested to see how that 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 kind of um, plays out. Just m- mostly, mostly my tension is not, not because I don't think that harm reduction workers deserve to be unionized. I'm actually more where I'm, I'm more, uh, hesitant is on the, the first part of that statement. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, I, I think you're right that the labor movement does need to understand, you know, harm reduction workers as a, a workforce to be organized, um, and to, or, and to be organized with, um, you know, maybe, um 
uh, in terms of in ways that um, meet the you know needs and material conditions uh, to to put it in mm-hmm. Marxist kind of language of of the very workers that they you know intend to to organize. Um, so, I mean, the first thing I'll say is you're absolutely right. Nice <laughs> um, success. Labor- <laughs> labor, got it labor hates or not a hundred percent but but like the, the labor is at, at at best like uh there's an antipathy to people who use drugs and and this community um uh or or however you want to describe it they're, they're like no i don't like we're not fighting for legalization of heroin i'm, I'm absolutely not going to do that um that's me talking like the president of my union, right? Um, so <laughs> he's never said that. It'd be interesting to, to have that conversation with him. But, um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the issue is, um, let me see if I, can, if I can thread this needle or pull a couple of different threads together. One is no one should be on the sidelines. There shouldn't be a wait and see um, because the only way that change happens the only way that an organization whether it's a union or anything else but specifically oh, oh, let, let me right? let me clarify that i didn't mean i'm wait and see as in like you know if there was a union drive mm-hmm. at an organization no, no. that was working out well i would be like oh i'm gonna see how this plays out i mean i'm, I'm waiting and seeing on uh I, I wait and see on the notion of whether this is the the third step i i am totally right, right. i'm totally there with like moving forward with it unionized baby like get that shit done that's not like i <laughs> i um i i don't mean it in terms of that i i just mean like you know thinking uh you know you never know how these things play mm-hmm. I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm just i i'm just i have a bit more um uh skepticism in the 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 sense of the word to mean like investigate rather to yeah oh i i yeah i i didn't think you were saying that i i'm 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 talking specifically about yeah i mean are unions uh is the labor movement the vehicle to the those uh to ending prohibition and the drug war like yeah wait and see is uh is a totally reasonable stance to take there um so the the issue is um with uh, like change happens in large uh, labor organizations through a rank and file movement. So uh, when harm reductionists represent those um, deeply political liberatory goals, when they represent those as the interests of the union because they are of the union, right? Um, I mean, my union... Um, uh, recently in the past year in new york city gained um my local gained 700 something members and about 600 of them um were my or my organization so uh so the the issue is that when our when our uh, political demands are represented by uh by not just by workers and not just by people in the harm reduction industry but by uh people who are in a membership organization and that membership organization if it's a democratic a real actually democratic organization small d democratic organization then it has to represent those um it has to represent that uh those those demands not obviously like 
immediately and explicitly calling for an end to the drug war, but just by virtue of having um, the harm reduction workforce organized and participating specifically, uh, I mean, not in an independent union, in the biggest union you can find, maybe not the biggest union, like not the Teamsters. I picked maybe that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, by, 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 involve, by getting involved in, um, in an organization that's not necessarily good or bad or anything, but it's strategic. Mm-hmm. The union has the power to make the change. The union right now, I mean, they're endorsing people like Joe Crowley. You know, there there uh, a lot of unions, um, uh, a lot of unions in New York City. The reason that we can't pass the New York Health Act, um, uh, so a lot of unions in well, in New York City and New York State um, are the reason that we can't pass the New York Health Act because they have a vested interest in their members having private insurance through the union. So that's fucked up, right? That's fucked up. Uh, so it's, it's totally, it's totally fucked. But the union is, is also the only way that we have enough power. It's the only way strategically to pass the New York Health Act is to convince union leadership or run for union office and change the policies or, or change the, change the direction of the union. That's, that's just like, that, that's how that has to work. Um, so, so yeah. So when I'm talking about obviously the liberatory goals of the harm reduction movement, it's not that it's going to happen soon. And it's not that, um, that it, it's going to happen because the union will necessarily agree with my, um, my, my utopic vision. It's that by participating in the union, um, my utopic vision is represented uh, in this enormous and strategic organization with a lot of power. Yeah, I, I mean, like one of the other, I guess, one of the other trajectories for that is also like I, I, I don't know if this, is, I, I've only heard about this in BC, but that's also my bias from having lived there. Mm. Um, is uh, you know, like I, I've, I've started to see that um, the BC uh, GEU, which is the second largest union in the province, uh, more, more so, but also the the BC Fed, which is like the big one. Um, you know, they've you know started you know, kind of looking at this stuff because of the overdose crisis, because it's mm-hmm. kill, it's been killing, you know, so many of their union members, mm-hmm. um, you know, now all of a sudden, you know, they're interested in taking a, you know, position on this. Um, and, and so like in the, in the sense that, you know, also within those kind of relations, like the, the people who are going to be able to direct, you know, union policy on those things, the best are going to be the people who are directly affected, right? Um, who are all clearly who clearly are members of the union. So, like, I, I, I yeah, I, I agree with that that sentiment there. Um, yeah, I mean, how so? How does a union get involved with trying to tackle the drug poisoning crisis or the overdose crisis? Um, they they either kind of ham handedly is that a word? Ham handedly? Ham fistedly? Yeah, I'm, I'm going with ham fistedly. Ham handedly. <laughs> ham in hand. <laughs> um just kind of muddle around right maybe take maybe take the advice of um of like some uh some 
neoliberal uh, public health department <laughs> policymaker. I'm sure you've got some of those in DC, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> yeah. They either they go, what should we do? And then um, these goofballs say, well, this is what we need more cops or whatever, you know? And then the union goes, all right, they straight from the horse's mouth of the public health department, which knows about, you know, public health crises such as drug poisoning, we're uh, we're at, we're saying that we that you know we need more cops and and we're, that's what we're coming out for right. We're super but, lucky in BC that the um, PHO, um, even though she's been garbage on COVID, Dr. Bonnie Henry, mm-hmm. she 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 wrote like a thing in 2019, I think, in support of decriminalization. And the the, the BC coroner is like really radical on the on like you know getting mm-hmm. in the the getting to the root of the problem kind of way really radical on on this on this issue being like no we, we need safe supply like you know mm-hmm. we need this and you, it, I, I it is it is an anomaly and i i know harm reductionists probably in north america are all generally bored about hearing about vancouver all the time <laughs> so but i i'm i'm talking i'm just talking generally in bc um uh, but yeah, no, I, I mean, it, it, that, that, that's the other thing, right? Like, you know, there has to be kind of these, I, I guess, these multiple infiltrations, right? Because mm-hmm. it, it's not just there. Um, I, I, yeah, sorry, continue. So, and then, no, I mean, you're, yeah, I'm, I'm almost like just continuing with what you were saying, which is basically like, yeah, the, the, the union follows the leadership of its members. If it's, if it's any good at all, um, and, and that's the hope, right? <laughs> um, and um, la- these large labor organizations have the power to change policy. So if their membership are saying things like safe supply, then they just, it's not like, oh, cool, problem solved, magic bullet, labor is going to solve it. Um, but what it, ge- what it gives harm reduction is, um, is a really like powerful strategic leg up in, in this fight and a lot more visibility. Okay, so I want to just, I have one question that I wanted to ask, um, mm. uh, and then I'm going to wrap up. Um, okay. So one of the things that I was um, thinking, so in terms of the second tweet in this thread, which I'll, I'll just read back out because it's easier. Um, the, the, so the, the fight against prohibition and the global drug war has always been there, but it's picking up significant momentum and reminding harm reductionists that service work without abolition is complete. So we've already kind of touched a bit on the, the abolition aspect, but what I, I'm interested, um, we've talked very nationally about that. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things that uh, I think stood out to me um, on the suite and people who listen to this podcast know that I, I'm, <laughs> I, I, I love, you know, thinking about and trying to talk about the, the international um, kind of I- implications of um, the war on drugs. And so, or prohibition. Um, and, and so I, I guess like in, in terms of that, like, you know, what do you think um, uh, like harm reductions role, what role do you think, sorry, let me try that one more time. Mm. What role do you think harm reduction uh, should um, play, you know, kind of in this global drug reform movement? Because you know, drug reform and harm reduction are not, have not necessarily like, they, you know, they, they definitely have overlaps, but they, they haven't, they're not always necessarily the same thing. So what role should harm reduction play in like international drug policy? Yeah. 
Jesus, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, uh, so I think the question of what role should harm reduction play and what role should uh, like organized labor and the harm reductionists who are organized, um, what role should that play in international drug policy? Those might be two different questions. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, so, so one of the, one of the things that we, um, uh, one of the things that, that we did when, uh, a year ago when we were doing, um, uh, this work in DSA, we changed the city platform to, uh, incorporate, um, some harm reductionist values, um, <clears throat> and we edited, um, we edited a great deal of it, but, um, but a couple of different sections. And one of them was, uh, international, the internationalism section of the, of the New York city DSA platform. Um, and it, to me, it's like self-evident, um, but I don't know Dick about any of this, but to <laughs> me, it's self-evident that like, obviously if we're talking about, um, if we're talking about real, uh, real like drug politics, real like policy reform leading towards um, uh, leading towards abolition of the drug war and um, the uh, Controlled Substances Act and and all of that. Um, the people who are immediately affected by it should have um, the the first and last say. The people who um, the workers who are growing the poppy. Right or mm -hmm. or producing the producing the substances in in one way or another, uh, growing the coca, um, etc. They should they should obviously have all of the same uh, the same benefits and and the, like any any international drug policy that kind of liberalizes it or decriminalizes should also be uh, if if it's basically I mean this idea of if you're creating an industry. Or if you're finally decriminalizing an industry or legalizing an industry, and so you're so you're creating an industry, but you're not bringing in labor protections, that's you're only doing half the job. It's the same question with safe consumption sites in the United States. When they become legal, but they don't have, but you expand. If you're a lawmaker who is in any way on the kind of like progressive end, right? You have to care about labor. You're also probably in the pocket of some some large labor organizations right um so if you're if you're creating a new industry which expanding harm reduction into um the safe consumption site um uh, into providing safe consumption site services um is essentially creating a new industry if you create a new industry and you don't bring in labor protections then uh then what are you even doing i get i mean but yeah that's my that's my total half-assed answer i don't know enough I, about that i mean you know what for 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 shooting the shit that was a pretty good uh that was a pretty good answer <laughs> um <laughs> in, in my opinion i i mean like i i you know i, I kind of think about that too sometimes you know like when i'm speculating about my drug futures <laughs> as I'm, I'm known to do <laughs> um uh yeah like in terms of you know like we don't want to bring in you know these uh hyper exploitive uh, you know, industries, they already are hyper, hyper ex exploitive mm -hmm. because of their criminality. But like, uh, you know, like, uh, I want to, you know, we want to be able to bring in like real, 
you know, real protected like work and stuff. And so like that, like that, that is a place that, you know, having organized labor involved, you know, would be fantastic. I, I mean, I, I think, um, uh, like a, a good example of that was with uh, Rhode Island's cannabis uh, legalization. Um, I can't remember which org um, it is. I know Daniel Denver from the the Dick Podcast mm. <laughs> is is one it, it, like organizes with them, and uh, you know they push the Rhode Island government. Sorry, I don't remember how government structure in the U.S. works just yet. Um, <laughs> but uh, they um, to like include things like. Um, you know, like I think like 25% of the um the licenses are for co-ops, uh 25% for um like have to be unionized um uh jobs and then uh another 25% or or something some somewhere around these numbers are, are correct um uh, of them have to go to like you know historically like marginalized um uh, communities um, as well uh, for the licenses, and that that was a result of that was a result of organizing. Like, you know, can you name a, a state that has like that much like either unionized or worker owned, um, uh, you know, cannabis stuff? Like, there's no place in Canada that's like that. I mean, Canada's dark, weird stuff is shit, and we don't have time to get into that. But uh, <laughs> you know, like that that that's the power of you know doing this this kind of work and actually you know thinking about these you know these things is you can actually get this kind of stuff through so when new york state passed marijuana legalization um a couple of uh no not a couple of jesus was that only a year ago um anyway when new york state passed it um included in the the marijuana legalization bill was um uh something called a labor peace agreement um which which it doesn't demand that every shop um Every dispensary, every farm, et cetera, is union, but it makes it incredible, so much easier to do it um, to, to the extent that it's, it's almost as if that labor peace agreement is basically a demand for every dispensary, et cetera, is a closed shop. Um, and so there's no reason not to do that uh, when anyone, when you get to, when a lawmaker gets to... Uh, you know, sign a piece of paper that creates a new industry that that mobilizes an enormous workforce. Why not include something like the robust labor peace agreement that's uh, that's included in the marijuana legalization in New York? Uh, new York City, by the way, has a garbage labor peace agreement that nobody knows or cares about, um, and that's in the courts right now. Um, but. Uh, but but yeah, it's like it's essentially ineffectual. But the one in marijuana, the marijuana legalization, is uh, is very robust. Cool, Jacob. We're half hour over original uh, original um, planned time. Uh, we are uh, twenty minutes over. We're we're now ten minutes over the the time on top of that I, I added. Um, do you have any final thoughts? Um, final thoughts, if you're listening to this and you work in harm reduction and you want to organize your shop, get in touch. Um, and that's it really. Thank you for listening to the drug futurisms podcast. More information and resources for this episode are available in the show notes. If you want to help us imagine a different future, you could support us at patreon.com slash drug futurisms give us a good rating on iTunes, or share this podcast with a friend. 
Drug Futurisms is produced and hosted by Claire Zagorski and Alex Betzos. Our editor is Marcel Rambo. Our cover artist is Brooke Payne. And our original music was produced by Jake Goodison. Until next time, remember, another drug world is possible.